Good afternoon and welcome to the Monday edition of the Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. Coming up this afternoon, we'll get a hog market update from Tyler Fulton. Also, we'll chat with the chair of the Canadian Roundtable for Sustainable Crops. And up first in today's country comment, John Gavlosky with Manitoba Agriculture will give us an update on the insect situation. The latest farm news and market numbers all coming up over the next 60 minutes. The time now is 12 o'clock. Here's a look at our local news. Good afternoon. You're listening to the Manitoba Farm Journal. Joining us on the program today is Manitoba agriculture entomologist John Gavlosky. Let's talk a little bit about flea beetles. And I guess we've seen um, quite a bit of uh, spraying there for that. Yeah. Uh, so what happened this year was a combination of there once again being fairly heavy flea beetle populations. And what really made the problem all that much worse was the canola was just sitting in the very vulnerable seedling stage for a prolonged period, mainly because of, in many areas, dry conditions. The canola just didn't have the moisture it needed to advance quickly. What's really critical with flea beetles and minimizing their damage is getting the plant from day you seed to the three to four leaf stage roughly uh, within about three weeks. If you can do that, Probably the seed treatment's all you're going to need. But anything that slows down that early growth, keeps it in that seedling stage long, just makes it more vulnerable to flea beetles. And that's what was happening this year. We're probably getting to the point now where a lot of the canola, now that we've had some moisture, is getting into the more resistant stages. But we did have a couple weeks there where there was a lot of foliar spraying going on for flea beetles. Some reports of of reseeding of canola as well, just because of the, the high amount of flea beetles? Yeah, some of the fields, I think uh, a lot of cases it was a combination of stresses happening, but certainly flea beetles were contributing. And yeah, there were instances where people did have to recede because of the flea beetle feeding. What about grasshoppers? It looks like we've we've been seeing some spraying there as well. Yeah, now some people have been spraying their field edges uh, mainly for uh, grasshoppers. One of the cautions I do have is an agronomist uh, this morning brought in a, a cage of grasshoppers that they had swept from a ditch area. And when we looked inside, it was almost nothing but katydids, which uh, technically they are a type of grasshopper, but they've got very long antenna. And they're not a type of grasshopper that will move into the crops and do economic damage. So they're harmless. But there legitimately are some very high populations of the potential pest species of grasshoppers and some of the ditches and field edges. So what we do is, is caution people, uh, do you scout your field edges, your ditches. If you're seeing a lot of grasshoppers with really long antenna, those are katydids. They're not potential pest species. If the antenna are relatively short, then they could be some of your potential pest species. So a good time right now to be scouting the field edges and getting to know what's there. But what about uh, cutworms? So cutworms, uh, they were, I'll say, localized issues this year with cutworms. The samples that people had been sending in to me for identification, a lot of those cutworms have now turned to pupa. So I think our natural populations right now are starting to turn to pupa. So we're starting to get out of cutworm season. There still might be some fields that had... um, a later hatch 
with some of the species that overwinter as eggs that potentially still could be an issue. So still keep scouting for them for another week or two. But we're starting to get out of the, the heavier cutworm problems. And overall, this year was not as bad as last year and not nearly as bad as 2019. So it seems like cutworms, their populations almost follow a bell curve where they build up, they get really bad, then they taper off. And I'm thinking 2019 was probably our peak, uh, 2020 a little bit less. And this year, although there were still some cutworm issues, uh, things seemed uh, quite a bit less than the previous couple of years. Any other um, insect concerns at this time, John? Well, the only other one uh, that people were reporting to me more recently was some wireworm feeding, mainly in cereals, but also a little bit in corn. Um, wireworms, they're... Uh, uh, a beetle larva that live underground, all their feedings underground. So you notice the feeding early in the season. Usually it's bare patches or plants come up uh, looking a bit shriveled. So we did see a little bit of that in some of the cereals. And there was a cornfield in the eastern region that had uh, some very significant wireworm feeding as well. But once again, uh, now that we've got some moisture, the crops are growing well. Uh, we're probably getting to the point where that will become a bit less noticeable. That was John Gavlowski, entomologist with Manitoba Agriculture. A look at what's happening in the markets this afternoon is coming up. Good afternoon, I'm Corey Canute. McCain Foods will be implementing regenerative agricultural practices across 100% of its potato acreage by the year 2030. Dr. Sylvain Charlebois is a food professor at Dalhousie University. They do have nine years, so there's lot, lots of work ahead, but I think fundamentally they're going to have to really think about what this commitment actually means for McCain's network overall. So there are set principles uh, in their announcements, but there, are, there were no metrics. There were no measurable metrics. And so that's going to be interesting to see how things unfold. The move represents 370,000 acres worldwide. And Canada's Farm Show is going virtual this year. Participants can register online for free this week. The event runs June 16th and 17th. Host Sherilyn Jolly-Nagel says the first day focuses on innovations and the state of the industry. So this is just a, a wonderful day full of programming that talks about where we are today. So we have a, a president's panel, and we, so the presidents of various companies, I think there's four or five companies there that will talk about what it's like for them in agriculture today. So there's a number of key speakers but one of my favorite parts of day one with the innovations and state of the industry is the Pioneers panel. Other highlights include the story of the Little Potato Company and how it got started. That was a look at today's farm news. I'm Corey Canute. Good afternoon and welcome to the Prairie Eggwire for Monday, June 14th. I'm Corey Canute. Coming up today, we'll chat with the chair of the Canadian Roundtable for Sustainable Crops. The results of an extensive five-month industry consultation on the Responsible Grain Draft Code of Practice are now available online. I caught up with Jason Lenz. He's the chair of the Canadian Roundtable for Sustainable Crops. started uh, about three years ago now at a Grains Roundtable meeting, and um, there was a public, truck, public trust uh, working group that was set up uh, prior to that to look at how uh, the grain industry, uh, grain, well, grain, oil, seed, and pulse industry um, can address some of the issues that were coming our way regarding public trust um, 
you know, not only here domestically, but throughout the world as well. So um, it was decided there that um, we definitely need to do something about it as an industry, especially considering the success that the Canadian Roundtable for Sustainable Beef. Um, at that time, they were in the process of almost finalizing their, their code um, and their verified beef program, but um, we've seen a real need for our industry to do the same, and um, it was decided that uh, uh, the Canadian Roundtable for Sustainable Crops was the right organization to lead that. And uh, from there, um, you know, the structure, the structure of the committee, committees for the, um, to, to develop the code of practice was set up, and, and uh, they went to work. Now, this, this whole feedback process, um, I guess talk a little bit about that and, you know, what, what kind of engagement you, you got through this. Well, there certainly was good engagement. Um, you, you know, you, don't, you always try to get to, to every farmer when you're doing a consultation. And, and um, you know, I think farmers actually really appreciated having the opportunity to, to uh, provide feedback in such a in such a broad range and on such a comprehensive um, code, you know, there's, there's obviously a little bit of work to do, and and we don't always get that opportunity with some industry initiatives. Some things, um, you know, don't have that level of consultation, and so I think that part went really well. Just the the level of engagement from producers um, certainly got a ton of feedback, both positive and negative, and but in saying that, that's the whole reason for having a consultation. You know, that's 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 why that was the goal um, when the consultation or when the whole process started is to make sure farmers had had their say and what a code of practice might look like. So um, that's what happened, and we got lots of feedback on how um, on things that the farmers liked, they understood, and other things that they didn't like about the code and then thought needed to be changed. So that's really where we're at with this, uh, you know, the executive summary that came back on the, you know, the broad range consultation across the, across the country. And, and um, you know, the CRSC and, and the committees involved with Code of Practice are, uh, um, on wor- are working right now on uh, implementing some of that feedback into a consultation coming up again in the fall. Consultation 2.0, I guess you could say. Give us a sort of a broad overview on, on the findings um, in the report here. Well, there's certainly a number of modules within the, the Code of Practice um, that were viewed fairly, quite favorably. And, and, un- and I think the ones that farmers really understood um, uh, you know what what the kind of the goal was for them, and, and the goal really is to talk about the, the good practices that we're already doing. You know, um, there's so much of that within uh, even within the draft consultation of the code. You know, it, Canada is a big place, and, and uh, each province um, has different uh, farming regions where you're dealing with different uh, geography, um, different weather conditions, whether you're getting rain or whether you're not getting rain. And um, so a lot of those modules, the farmers really understood. There are some modules that definitely had some pushback. Um, land, land use, uh, water management was, was, uh, was one of them for sure. That um, uh, we got good feedback on and how we need to change um, some, some of those actual, whether they were the... Uh, 
you know, the beneficial practices or the recommended practices. Um, got lots of feedback on that. And I think the one, the one big message we got was that the actual tone of the whole code needed to be a little bit more positive and talk about um, all the good things that, that uh, farmers are doing across Canada because um, that, was one of my, that was one of my goals when I uh, decided to, uh, to be part of it is, you know, prior to this code being developed, you, you hear it almost every week that farmers aren't do, doing a good enough job telling their story, right? Telling, telling about the good, good beneficial management practices that we're doing on our farms. So this code, once it gets developed, will definitely be a tool that can do that. And, um, you know, I think we had industry-wide engagement on it, everything from farmers all the way to the grain companies and uh, input suppliers in, in the development of it. And it's a tool that we can all use to... You know, to tell our relatives in the city that that maybe came from the farm but are, you know, like a few generations from the farm that don't understand what modern farming looks like in Canada. That was Jason Lenz, chair of the Canadian Roundtable for Sustainable Crops. That's it for the Prairie Eggwire for today. If you have any questions or opinions to share, send them to us by email, thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. I'm Corey Canute. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. The Prairie Eggwire will return tomorrow on the Golden West Farm Network. Time now for a look at the farm calendar. Canada's Farm Show is going virtual this week. Go to canadasfarmshow.com. An egg in motion invites you to join an online session entitled Getting On With Growing Vigilance in Crop Care, June 23rd at 9 a.m. Registration details can be found on the Egg in Motion website. Continuing with the Manitoba Farm Journal here on this Monday afternoon. Joining us now is Tyler Fulton with Hams Marketing to give an update on the hog markets he started off by talking about forward hog contract prices. Uh, there's still great opportunities there. Um, we, we're, we're seeing a, the futures market be a little bit, um, kind of show some signs of being toppy, uh, meaning that we've, we're still you know, right at near contract highs, which means that translates into forward prices that, uh, well, in the near, near term, um, there, there's some producers that uh, that can expect to break the $300 a pig mark um, um, fairly fairly easily. So it's uh, it, it's pretty um, pretty good scenario to be in. Profitability remains really good, um, but it it does trail off in line with when you would typically see some some seasonal pressure. Um, we've got forward prices for. Um, uh, for the uh, you know December uh, time frame that are um, that are still you know twenty percent better than you know than levels than we that we would typically see for that time of year um, so I think there's still opportunities there but uh, but um, I, I yeah it's uh, it, it's looking like we're we, you know maybe we're we've started to see the end of new highs being made what about cash prices? Yeah, cash prices continue to to be firm in the in the short term. We saw um, U.S. cash prices um, rally up to the highest levels that we've seen in seven years, um, and it's it's driven really by um, good strong demand, both domestic and and export side, um, and and numbers that probably were underwhelming. Um, you know, relative to expectations, we're still, you know, we're still dealing with significantly more supplies than we did last year. Of course,
course, last year was was impacted a lot more by COVID um, than what we're seeing in um, over the course of the last month um, this year. But uh, in any case, um, cash prices represent great value, um, and you know are dealing with the fact that the Canadian dollar is is working against us a little bit. You know, I think it's important to note that the export markets are often held up to be the you know, the driving factor behind um, hog markets from time to time. Um, what we're seeing now is still very good export demand, um, but really a, a, a mixing up of, you know, of who the, you know, where the top do, um, destinations are. For the last year or so, China's been um, really ramping up significantly. Um, but what we've seen just in the last month or two is is a bit of a step back. Um, we're actually seeing a decline in the exports to China relative to year ago levels, and so um, we think that that could be, you know, a little bit of a of a uh, uh, signal that um, that maybe we can't expect, you know, a whole lot further upside to the. Uh, you know, to the fall time period, time period right now. That was Tyler Fulton with Ham's Marketing Services with a hog market update. Another look at what's happening in the markets as we head into the close is coming up in just a moment. Time now for another look at today's farm news. Canada's farm show is going virtual this year. Sherilyn Jolly-Nagel is the host for this year's show. June 16th and 17th, registration is available at canadasfarmshow.com. Registration is absolutely free, and the program will be available on demand. The online event features some key information with a variety of informational panels, as well as keynote speakers, including former Prime Minister Stephen Harper. And McCain Foods will be implementing regenerative agricultural practices across 100% of its potato acreage by the year 2030. Dr. Sylvain Charlebois is a food professor at Dalhousie University. What's interesting the last few months is we've seen major corporations like Pepsi, General Mills, and now McCain committing to regenerative agriculture, which is really uh, fascinating. And I think it boils down to a shift in, uh, in philosophy, a shift in how you approach farming overall. I think McCain is going to basically define uh, sustainable agriculture the way it wants to, and uh, and it will work uh, with its farmers uh, in a strategic manner in order for farmers to, you know, to make money. The move represents 370,000 acres worldwide. I'll be back after this to wrap up today's program. We've come to the end of another Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Knute. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us by email, thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. Today's closing numbers with more in-depth commentary on what's happening in the markets is coming up at 10 to 2 on the Markets Farm Program. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. Hope you can join us back here tomorrow starting at 12 noon.